0: You're listening to the D.C. Real Estate Podcast, the podcast where we focus exclusively on all things local to the DMV area, local investors, local knowledge, local
1: experts. Our journey starts now. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode of the DC Real Estate Podcast. My name is Russell Brazil. I am an associate broker with Arlo Real Estate. Sorry we were off last week. Our co-host Jack Sadden got COVID unexpectedly, so he was out last week, and he's out this week too. But we got uh, one of our favorite guests, Ron Gallagher, filling in for Jack. Hello. And uh, our special guest this week, we're really excited to have him. He's one of the most popular investors, I feel like, in the DC area. Uh, he's the myth, the man, the legend. You might know him as Dr. Joe, or you might know him as the master assassin. I'm talking about Joe or of course.
2: Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Russell.
0: <laughs> you need the applause track.
2: <laughs> okay, well, it's, it's... Oh, you know, do I
1: have applause? Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, thank you very much, Russell, for inviting me today. I'm looking forward to our discussion, and uh, it should be very entertaining. And hopefully, uh,
1: the audience will learn quite a few things from conversation. Yeah. So the last time I saw you was back in October at BPCon, and as you were, um, it was an awesome conference. But as you were just telling me, while you were away at BPCon, you picked up your most recent rehab, um, and this sounds like a pretty interesting story.
2: Yes, uh, so this is the latest purchase I've got. Uh, got it in November, about a month and a half ago. Uh, essentially, it's a very strange story. It's in Washington DC in the Brooklyn neighborhood, uh, not too far from Catholic University, uh, between the Brooklyn Metro Station and the Fort Totten Metro
1: Station. There, it's a row house. And uh, do you want to talk about it, or just yeah? So I mean, one of the things that seems interesting to me is it's. <clears throat> Um, definitely at, like north of there in Riggs Park, I always think of a lot of rehabs going on. But in Brooklyn, I usually don't think of too many going on because that the housing stock's not in really that bad condition in that neighborhood. No, this one, uh, is one in Brooklyn's
2: kind of, uh, this area. The houses were built in 1978. So it's one of the newer for DC. That's pretty new. Yeah. Uh, so it's one of the newer homes. And, uh, so there aren't a whole lot of houses that go up, up, up over there. And I was somewhat surprised when my agent, uh, called me and said that, hey, there's a, a, a listing that uh, it looks kind of weird. It looks kind of funny. Something's going on here. And uh, do you think I should check it out? And uh, so I said, of course, check it out, see what's going on.
1: Yeah, and so it was listed as a two-bedroom unit, right? And so there's not huge demand for two-bedroom row houses.
2: Yeah, it was listed as a two-bedroom in an area whereby they are all three bedrooms. And so that's the first thing. And the description on the listing was, let's just say it wasn't well written. Uh, there's no sort of uh, attractive features there. It's just very blah, bland, and so forth. There was one photograph on the listing, which is usually a red flag that uh, the interior isn't that good, and also the price point is like four sixty five, I think it was, which is very reasonable, very low, in fact, for that area. So all those, um you know, those things got my agent's attention, and that's when she called me because she knew that uh, Brooklyn is one of the areas uh, which I was interested in. And, uh, because, you know, you can, it's a good area. You can get good tenants and, uh, close to shopping, recreation, transportation. All those things, uh, met my criteria. It's just that the price was, was, was way lower than I thought it would be. And the description is a two bedroom seemed a little off. So, uh, you know, working with a good agent, I think is, is, is always good because, uh, they can point these things out. Uh, I wasn't looking. She observed this and brought it to my attention. So it's always good to, to to work with what I call deal finders, people who are out there, um, you know, you know, listening to what's going on, and every so often, if they understand your criteria, then they can
1: bring it to your attention. Hey, they got deal. the air to the ground. Air to the ground. They're yeah. looking yeah. in the MLS every day, and yeah. so they're look they're seeing the properties that maybe other people are passing on exactly. and can see something in them that yes. isn't readily apparent to everyone else. Yes, like this one being listed as a two yeah. bedroom. Yes, but not really being quite a two-bedroom. Uh, it was a three-bedroom, really. Uh, they just had
2: uh, <clears throat> one of the rooms. Uh, well, they combined two bedrooms into one, and therefore they made it a two-bedroom. And uh, the house that wasn't in the greatest condition, it was in a good area, uh, was also a checkmark. What you, what I look for anywhere are houses in bad condition in good areas, mm-hmm. and therefore it gives you the uh, more leverage in terms of improvements and value add that you can bring to the table. So, uh, she, um, uh, you, you want me to continue the story? Actually. You oh, story. do you want me to continue the story? Yeah. Okay. So she, um, so she contacted the listing agent and to say, yeah. Hey, you know, essentially what's going on here. And the agent gave her the backdrop of the story. And it was a, a, a parent who used to live there. They passed away, went to their children. And so the children, you know, it was too much for them to handle. It was kind of a mini hoarding house, a lot of stuff all over the place. And uh they just wanted to get out and get their money. So which is very common. The last several houses I bought, it's been that scenario where parents have passed away, went to their children, and children, you know, they just want out, they want the money and, and, and so forth, and I've been able to buy at least the last four houses that way. And uh so uh so she, she contacted the agent, she eventually uh made an offer. It was this is the four sixty five, I think it was. We they made an offer after backwards and forwards of four twenty five. So uh, 425 was what they agreed to. I was, uh, as you just mentioned, I was going to go to BPCon in New Orleans, so I didn't have the time to go yep. see it. So this was based on "quote unquote." The only, the only, um, uh, you know, what's it? What's the right word? The only condition on the contract was that I was going to see it, yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, and therefore I would see it once I came back. So once I did see the house, uh, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I mean, I've seen some pretty doozies. <laughs> 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 on, on a scale of one to ten, this was this is this is pretty good. Uh, once you see through yeah, you, know, you gotta be able to see beyond the, the, the you know. Yeah, so
1: you'd mentioned it seemed like a hoarder like yeah. situation, but so you gotta be able to see past Exactly. See past the dirt, see past all the stuff.
2: Yes, yes. So you gotta see beyond that and so uh, looking beyond that I said, yeah, this has got potential here. And uh, it had a garage. And therefore, uh, I knew that, uh, at least for what I do, which is the buy and hold model, um, and what they call the burr strategy, where you keep it and I rent to section eight, uh, where the rents are based on the number of bedrooms. So it had a garage. I knew I could, uh, replace that garage with a bedroom and the two bedrooms upstairs could make it to three, uh, bring that wall back.
1: Was this a attached garage or?
2: It's uh, it's attached. Yeah. Yeah, So underneath the house. No, it's, uh, you kind of, it's kind of weird. So you go in. Turn right and then, uh, it's, it's on the same level.
1: Okay. As the, as the main house. And, uh, it wasn't under the house. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to picture because you've probably seen those ones in like sort of the Brightwood area where they're yes, sort yes, of going. Yeah. In. A lot right. of people no, turn it's, those it's, and... it's not one of
2: those. Okay. It's not one of those. It's on the same level as your living room, dining room, kitchen. Okay. Okay. It's just a, an additional garage, uh, on the same level. So I knew I could get rid of that garage and turn that into, uh, you know, living space. And uh, I also knew that um, the basement was a pretty decent sized. Basement it had a high ceiling.
1: Ceiling height was already and, there. Oh, yeah, it was always uh, way For high. those that don't know, in in DC, in the basements, we really need seven foot uh, ceilings on the majority of the ceiling height in order to create legal living space down there. Exactly. So it had
2: about seven and a half eight wow. feet. It was pretty high ceiling. Nice. So I knew that uh, I didn't have to dig the ground, and uh, there was space there to where I could make at least two bedrooms. Uh, there's already, there was already windows there in the basement. They weren't egress windows. Egress is when, uh, for code, uh, if, in the event of fire, you gotta have two forms of exit. And, uh, one is usually through the door and the other one is usually through the window. And so this one had windows in the, in the spaces where I could make it into a bedroom. It was just the one large rec room. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the basement. And, uh, I knew that, uh, there's potential there to expand or enlarge the windows make it into egress, <clears throat> and I could put walls whereby I can create two bedrooms and also create a full bathroom. So I knew that I could turn this two-bedroom, two-and-a-half
1: bath into a six-bedroom, four-bath. Yeah, so we we get two bedrooms in the basement, mm-hmm. additional bedroom on the main level in the garage, mm-hmm. and then the two bedrooms upstairs, two we're bedrooms upstairs. deconverting yeah. that back to a, yes. th- the original three-bedroom. Yes. So suddenly the two becomes a six. Yes. So That's it's a familiar theme because – My goal is the
0: same thing, always to, you know, anti-open concept. Let's put up some walls, make some bedrooms, and maximize the cash flow.
2: Well, yes, uh, I open up the
1: main level, you know, in terms of living room, dining room, kitchen. That is definitely Uh, a distinction between the two of you. So you want open level main open open concept on the main level, which is what tenants want. Ron actually does the opposite. He encloses the dining room to make an extra bedroom on the main level. But you wouldn't want
0: to have necessarily a six-bedroom anyway, right? Because you only get a little bit – it's only an incremental increase as far as the rent that Section 8 pays. But there's probably less people that that have a six-bedroom voucher, right? Does it work like that?
2: This is is how it works, okay? And this is the, the aha for me. Uh, Many, many years ago. I mean, I've been doing this about 35 (laughs) years. Okay. So when I first started, um, when I got into the Section 8 sort of um, uh, uh, revelation, uh, I uh, because the normal stereotype is that they're going to trash your house, they destroy it, it's going to be chaos, drama, blah, 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 and so on, which is true for a lot of folks, but it's not
1: true for all of them. But you know what? Uh, I have mostly market rate tenants a lot of them trash your house too, it's right? That's true.
2: <laughs> a drama as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So uh, drama and trashing your house is not unique to or solely the domain of Section 8. It's just you're dealing with people. And you get the good, bad, and ugly in all people. So well, once I realized was that uh, – then the question – I realized that the rents that you get is based on the number of bedrooms that you have. And so uh, – and I, you know, I have a kind of business background. So I realized that, okay, then, hmm. Shall I, if I increase the number of bedrooms, then I can get more rent
1: out of the same property, out of the same
2: asset. So let's say three of us buy this one house. It's uh, currently a three bedrooms.
1: Uh, Russell keeps it as three bedrooms, which is typically which is what, what's going to be in my strategy, which is what most people do. Yeah. Okay. Ron's going to Ron, get Ron, six Ron, bedrooms. Yeah, Ron's going
2: to get four. Let's say Ron adds another bedroom. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, uh, I'm just high, yeah. high, high, you know, you follow me just keep it simple. So you keep it as a three. Ron says, oh, I think I can add another bedroom. Uh, he makes it to a four. I say, oh, I think I got two bedrooms and I make it to a five. So three of us buy the same house. We get three different rents. Yeah. Okay. So uh, if you buy it and left it as a three bedroom, you probably break even. Uh, if you buy it as a four bedroom, you may get a little bit of cash flow. But now if I make it into a five-bedroom, I get decent cash flow.
1: So you're squeezing out a lot more cash flow out of the same asset, just using a different strategy.
2: Yeah, and the the only thing different is that I'm renting to one family. Okay, just one family. And so the question becomes, are there enough people that have four, five, and six-bedroom vouchers? Right. You know, to make it worth your while. That was my question. Is there?
0: Is there – your vouchers are based on, like, you have a six-bedroom voucher, but there probably isn't that many –
2: so yeah, is it is demand? You have to make a
0: just dis- decision, yeah. like I, exactly. going going to going from go to five bedrooms. That's probably a no brainer. But going to mm-hmm. six yeah. might be the tipping point where you say, no, I'll hold back to five because right. there are more five right. bedroom so vouchers. So it's,
2: it's you know supply and demand. Obviously, there are more people with three than there are four. There are more people with four than there are five. Right. There are More people with five than there are six. But the question: Are there enough people with six to make it worthwhile? Okay. Now, if there's only one person holding DC with a six bedroom voucher. And that person is happy where they are. Then you got a problem if you have a six bedroom house because there's no demand for it. Okay. But there are enough people who have six bedroom vouchers. Okay. And the problem in DC is that there aren't any six bedroom houses because they don't exist. Okay. Uh, but there are few, there are quite a number of people who have six bedroom vouchers. So those folks can't find any six bedroom houses and therefore they have to go to a five or to a four.
1: And then it, it's actually kind of interesting because. Not only is there not very many six bedroom houses, but there's so few that DCRA or DCHA actually doesn't actually publish the six bedroom exactly. section 8 rent schedule. Exactly. They only tell you up to five bedrooms. Exactly. Exactly. So and so I had no idea there was a six bedroom schedule until you told me um I think we were looking at of the five. Yeah, I think we were looking at one of your properties in Columbia Heights that was six bedrooms. And you told me that I was like, I had no idea there was a six bedroom schedule.
2: Yeah. So, so then, so that's what I did. I spoke to the folks down at the housing authority and said, are there enough people who have six bedroom houses to make it worth my while? Uh, or no, I did it the other way. Which group of people have the hardest time finding something? Hmm. Right. So that's, that's the way I twisted it. And uh, they said, I said, what about the people with one bedroom vouchers? Ah, they, they, there's plenty of those around. You know, they've got apartments left, right and center. What about the people with two? Ah, they don't usually have a problem. Three. Yeah, they, yeah, they're okay, but they, you know, it's harder. Four. Whoa. <laughs> you know, they have a hard time. Five. They have a really hard time. Six. Yeah. You, you know, forget it. Okay. That's essentially what they said. So for me, from a business perspective, I wanted to, I didn't want to compete with a crowd. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted to be in a space whereby there's no competition. When you
1: no throw a six-bedroom out there, there's no one else with a six-bedroom. All those applicants are coming to you, and then you can choose the best applicant. Exactly.
2: And that's essentially what the business model is, is to have a product that's in high demand but low supply. And wouldn't a
0: six-bedroom indicate, infer, that the, it's a family, right? Like, yes. That's going to
2: stay there longer than, exactly. you know. And, and that's where I think our models change, differ is that i cater to families
1: you have no turnover ron has a lot of turnover
0: yeah i mean just because my demographic is 20 yeah. something you know they're moving to dc they're getting their first job they're right. paying for 800 bedroom and then in two years they're living situation, you know they're gonna right. get pay raises and they're right. gonna get to know the city and they're gonna get an apartment with their friend exactly. or whatever exactly
2: so, so my my model is slightly different what i've learned is that as a uh, as a landlord investor, I don't want turnover because turnover is the biggest expense, uh, hands down in terms of that, you know, you got to clean the house, you got to pay it again. You got no money coming in. You know, it's very, very stressful. It's very time consuming. I just didn't want that because I was working full time, uh, you know, when I was doing this. So I just didn't want that drama. And I realized that for houses, especially when you have children, because children act like an anchor. Uh, once they're in, you know, the parents don't usually want to yank them out.
1: They don't want to take them out of the school. Yes. Right. They have neighborhood friends. Exactly.
2: It's uh, So, so once the kids are in there, you know, parents don't usually uh, flippantly, ah, I'm going somewhere today. You know, I'm going to another area. I'll go to another house. They, 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 they tend to be less, uh, transient. And so with voucher holders, uh, what I realized is that, uh, their choices, um, a lot of the landlords that cater to voucher holders, uh, I don't want to stereotype, but typically they are, they have crappy housing, crappy areas. They're
1: more of the slumlord. <laughs> yeah. I, so I was looking well, at was this it? two, uh, um, <laughs> two unit in Bloomingdale just this past weekend and it had voucher holders in there. And, uh, I'm actually surprised that it passed DC's rental inspection mm-hmm. checklist because the place was a dump. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the how, that's yeah. what's typically being offered to that demographic of yeah. people is a crappy housing supply yeah, often.
2: These are crappy housing, crappy areas, in, and they're usually crappy landlords. Uh, that's t- that's the choices that voucher holders have. And I realized that, uh, there's this group of people, which I call tier one voucher holders, the, the Nordstrom voucher holders, I call them. <laughs> Uh, these folks are not your, Complete, Does it no, say tier one
0: on their voucher? No, I feel that
2: way. Okay, goodbye but you know, you know, if you if you got if you want a pair of shoes, you can go to Nordstroms, you can go to Target, you can go to Dollar General. There's still shoes. Uh, so if you segment the market, uh you'll find that not all people are the same. And uh, so I segmented that Section 8 market and realized this is a group of people who are no different than you and I. They just want a nice house and a nice area to rent from a nice landlord. That's what they want. There's nothing complicated. And the problem is that their needs are not being served. Uh, I took the time to understand who these people are. Who are they? What do they want? What do they not want? Where do they want to live? Where do they not want to live? Who do they want to rent from? Who do they want, not want to rent from? I, I took the time and effort to understand that. And, uh, and therefore, if I had a product that meets their needs, then I'm more likely to attract them. Okay, and that's essentially the, the 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 logic behind all this is that you buy a house in a nice area, uh, you make it nice, and uh, these tier one tenants once they come to your home. Now, my homes are staged, so it looks like a model home. So once they come into the home, it's like oh my god, and you take vouchers. <laughs> uh,
1: so uh, it, it it is worth mentioning because uh, your houses do look phenomenal; they're staged. Your wife does own a staging company, right?
2: Well, that's full disclosure, yeah. So I get the discount rate, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, she, she still charges you? No, she still you. charges.
2: Uh, you know, hey, we're married 28 years, you know? <laughs> Business is <for> business. <laughs> so what's it called? Uh, but, but, but again, the idea is to differentiate myself from the competition, yeah? And uh, that's what I do. And, uh, and so I can attract an appeal to
1: a, a different type of client base. And when that... And so you, when you're rehabbing this properties like you are with this one in Brooklyn right now, you're not doing some cheap facelift on it. You're putting in nice cabinets, granite countertops, um, oh, yeah. nice flooring. These places, oh, yeah. they look like any other rehab that would be resold on the market. Exactly.
2: I would have no. My, my thing is that if I don't want to live there, then the tier one tenant probably doesn't want to live there as well and uh, so i i fixed it up in such a way that i wouldn't have a problem living there myself at all okay so uh so i tend to go a little bit more on the renovation but you may say well why are you doing you don't because the uh the rents is based on the number of bedrooms so adding granite countertops doesn't get you any more rent i don't know the bedroom does but not adding the fixtures you, you follow me uh, so you, the question may be, well, why are you doing that? Because you're not getting the, uh, you know, there's no direct correlation between, uh, that expense and a rent increase. Okay. And the reason why I do it is, uh, is that again, you have, you could, once the customer comes in, the, the tenant comes in, and sees this beautiful home, which never in their wildest dreams did they think it would be open to them. Okay. Uh, they say, I've got to have this house. Okay, so what I, what ends up happening is I get 5, 10, 15, 20 applications for each house. And therefore, I can raise the screening standards to such a high level that they're not intimidated by my thorough screening because they're good people. You want to come to my house? Okay, let's go.
1: And every other product they're looking at that they can possibly rent is kind of run down, yeah. dumpy, you know, hasn't been freshly paint even painted sometimes. So, they're walking into yours the and they're like, Oh my God. I, I want to live here for 10 years. You're so, attracting
0: the tier one. Yeah. Whole voucher holders at that point.
2: That's, that's the point that, you know, I, that's what I'm targeting them. Okay. And, uh, because that's, I've realized that that group of people, you can run a business around them. Okay. Where you, where they come in and they stay, you know, so you get your 10, 15, 20, my longest tenant, she, uh, her anniversary was January the 6th of this year. 25 years, okay, on a 15 year mortgage, okay, in the neighborhood. I bought the house for 100. She's been in there
1: since I was in high school. <laughs>
2: <laughs> She's been there. She's almost uh, here's a here's kicker is that I bought the house for 110, okay, and house on that block are 1.1 million, okay? So this one lady, okay, has essentially <laughs> Made me a million dollars in equity. I mean, this is the, when you think about this, this is pretty serious stuff here. All you need is a few of those, and you are done. You're, you're done, especially in this market, the DC market, where, you know, uh, appreciation is a reality. You know, uh, the problem is the cash flow. Okay. How do you get cash flow? That's where this four, five, six bedroom comes in.
1: Yeah, and you know it's interesting because I don't really have any Section tenants, but even with my own tenants, I like to have a nicely rehabbed home as part of my strategy. And what I've personally found is my tenants will go in there and they're paying a premium on the rent to have this nice place. But what happens is a lot of my tenants stay for a long time because they are typically people that would become homeowners, but when they're looking at what they can buy out in the marketplace in their budget. They're kind of dumpy places that need you know need to be rehabbed, need to be fixed up. So then they have to make the decision: should they become homeowners and downgrade to a worse house, or stay tenants and stay living in my nicer house? Exactly. And so I end up, uh, you know, having I have a lot of tenants that say, no, in twenty five years I haven't owned properties for twenty five years, but uh, a lot of my tenants stay a long time because I have a uh, pretty pretty nice houses.
2: Well, well, well this is. But the, the, the caveat to this is like, let's say the, the house, which is, we just did in, uh, in Eckington. It's a, it was a three bedroom, two bath We turned into a five, three and a half. No, uh, yeah, five, three and a half. Yes. So the rent, the house next door, right next door. Okay. The rent there was 3,500. Right next door,
1: which okay? is pretty typical for it's, a three bedroom. It's
2: pretty, it's pretty standard for a DC. You yeah. Know, I took this three bedroom and turned into a five bedroom. And the rent is five thousand four hundred and sixty-two, almost a two thousand dollars difference. Okay, for the, same for the same property, property right next door. Okay, so one two three Bay Street and one two five Bay Street. <laughs> okay, right next door. There's almost a two thousand dollars a rent uh, a month rent. Now, here's the thing: if I if I rented it to a market renter. Five thousand dollars. us say. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't get that anyway because the market isn't five thousand. But even if I, rented they
1: probably would have been forty two, forty three okay. in the market. So right?
2: it's $43,000, whatever it is. If I rented to a market renter, and um, there's a pretty good chance that at some point they're going to say, "This is crazy. Let's go buy our own house." Right. At some point, right? Okay, uh, I me, mean, I would do the same thing. Uh, <clears throat> however, for a voucher holder. There's no way they're going to be buying a, a six, $700,000 house. It's not going to happen.
1: Or in the case of the Neckington house, we're talking about a million, million two. It's not going to happen. Yeah.
2: It, it's not going to happen. Okay. So they're not looking to buy the house. And on top of that, they're not paying the $5,400 anyway. Uh, the tenant's paying $400. Okay. So, so to them, I'm in this great neighborhood. My kids are safe, a beautiful home, model home, and I could be a part of the community. Um, close to metro, shopping, all this kind of stuff for $400. Okay. So now, I mean, we can debate the political side, so, you know, that, that section eight, you know, why we should we do that? I mean, that's not, that's not the issue. We're investors. Uh, and so the issue is if you were paying, if you were living in Eckington, I'm going to ask this question to both of you. Okay. If you were living in Eckington in a nice model home. Okay. Uh, beautiful house, granite countertop, stainless steel you were paying
0: $400. I'd never leave. Now,
2: how long will you stay there?
0: I hate moving, so I would never move. <laughs> the last time I moved, I said I will die in this house because I hate the process of moving.
1: I used to live in Shaw in a rent-controlled uh, apartment and had a very, very low rent. And at some point, I became a homeowner. And let me tell you, even even though I knew I should buy a house and become a homeowner, it was very hard to leave that rent-controlled situation. Yes. Because um, I got to live in Shaw in a really cool neighborhood yeah. for a really low amount of money. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: So, so, so the dynamics is slightly different. Uh, now, obviously, if you go into, if you go, I, I don't want to sugarcoat the Section 8 model. Uh, it's not all sweetened, uh, you know, Nirvana. But once you understand it, you take the time to understand how it works. Okay. Uh, take the time to nurture and develop relationships with the housing authority people. Take the time to understand who these tier one tenants, what they're looking for, and so on. It's to me, it's a business model that works in this crazy market called the DMV, okay, where it's so expensive and it's so hard to get cash flow. But you know, for for the most part, uh, most people who own property in the DMV probably will tell you three things. Once, I wish I started buying houses earlier two i wish i uh kept them <laughs> three i wish i bought more
1: that's what i was gonna
0: say <laughs> bought earlier and bought more right okay. but you talk about appreciation we we talked about this the other night mm-hmm. that dc if you can figure out a way to make dc cash flow what an awesome and this is a dc centric podcast so this is you know good information if you can make it cash flow what a! What an awesome place to invest. Like, I don't know why you'd want to invest anywhere else other than Washington, D.C., because you get mega appreciation and you get
1: mega cash flow. So, I mean. And what we don't talk about uh, enough, I think, is we also get mega rent growth, right? So the properties that I bought 10 years ago in the suburbs rent for more than 50 percent more than they did then and in the city are renting for double what they did rented for 10 years ago and that's on market rates that's not section eight that's just how much the rents have gone up in the last decade
2: yeah it's uh i mean i I did the analysis uh i think it's about three or four years ago uh i bought my i bought one house in temple hills maryland uh this is in the mid-90s for 100k yeah. At the same time, I bought a house up in uh, Columbia Heights, believe it or not, for 100K. <laughs> at the same time, okay. Was this like before the Metro stopped? And- <laughs> I've got
1: an Oxon Hill property I bought for this 100K the, too. Probably time. as. <laughs>
2: this is probably around the Metro time. The, uh, just before the Metro came in. And, uh, that but, was 1999 for
0: the listeners, right?
2: But they, they started that construction before then. Uh, they do some, there was a lot of construction going on uh, with the Green Line uh, prior to that. So I used to live in Columbia Heights. And, uh, anyway, so the point is, is that I bought this house for hundred K at the same time, Temple Hills and uh, Columbia Heights. Fast forward, uh, to a year or two ago. Okay. The house That's in Temple Hills probably was what, 350, 360, something like that.
1: That's about right for if it was single family. Yeah. Single yeah. family, you know,
2: uh, things. Um, and the house in Washington was at that time, like eight hundred, uh, seven hundred and fifty
1: thousand. Yeah. It's probably a million now. Yeah. So, so,
2: anyway, so, so the question and then the rent. In the Temple Hills, like two thousand, and the rent in the DC one was four thousand seven hundred. Okay, so I'm 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 when you put this on a spreadsheet and you look at this, okay, you actually analyze this stuff, you realize that uh, the real money is appreciation after you cut through the chase. I mean, a hundred dollars extra. And the cash flow is
1: figuring out how can we hold on to the property long enough to watch this massive amount of appreciation.
2: But it said, "You, you, you, you. Uh, what's it called? The real ones they appreciate." And what I realised that, not all areas appreciate the same. Okay, so if you're going to buy, and you take a long term view, then you don't just buy anything anywhere. You're a bit more strategic in buying areas where it's more likely to appreciate, because that's what you're going to get the biggest return over the, the long haul. But the problem is the cash flow. Okay, and so this is where it gets a little trickier. Uh, when I first started, I had a job so I, you know my the first house I got I mean I, this is this, the story the, the, here's the bottom line I got the tenants from hell I bought a house in Columbia Heights it was a, I had a tenants from hell okay I didn't know what I was doing I just bought a house and uh, after all the drama that these guys gave me I was making fifty dollars cash flow that's it fifty dollars okay I bought this thing for 47 thousand. And at that time they were telling me I was getting ripped off I was paying too much (laughs) (laughs) I was getting duped (laughs) Okay So after all is said and done I'm making 50 bucks Now anybody in their right mind Say why in the world are you buying this house Okay are you crazy For 50 bucks It's not worth it Okay there's no cash flow Okay But you know luckily I had a different mindset I had a job so I didn't have to live off this 50 bucks. Okay. But I knew that over time, this asset being in the capital city, the capital area is probably going to appreciate because that's how it plays out throughout the whole world. And, uh, and so it's just a matter of holding on to this thing until the future. I didn't know when. But I just knew it's just a matter of time.
1: Yeah. I mean, there is a, so I've heard it, I think from you and from Ned, that there's a large belief amongst investors all around the world that if you invest in the capital city of the country, Things are going to work out pretty well, whether it's here, whether it's London, where Joe's Same. a little familiar with, Beijing, wherever it is, yeah. Tokyo. Yeah,
2: there's certain dynamics of capital cities. This is unique. There's only one, first of all, and two, that's where the money is for the most part. Three, land in capital cities, usually very restricted. And uh, four, there's jobs there. And uh, that's where the seat of power is. And uh, and so if you own assets in that capital city over over the long haul, it goes through cycles. But over the long haul, it tends to appreciate more so than any other place. It's more predictable than any other place in the country. And so that's 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 where I came from because I used to live in London.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned it goes through cycles. I, I actually I did this math sometime in the last year where I did the calculation that if you bought a median-priced house at the height of the housing bubble, right? So And I think it was like first quarter of 2007, literally – the worst time in the history of the world to buy a property. If you'd bought a medium-priced house then and you still owned it today and it was only medium-priced, and if you experience, if your rent just tracked inflation and only inflation, you averaged a 14% return per year. That's pretty good. Right. That's if you bought it the worst time in history. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. So over the long periods of time, now that's not to say every property you bought, right? If right. You, but you bought in that. Detroit, maybe that didn't exactly. happen.
2: Yeah. yeah, You can't say that for every yeah. city in the country. But for the most part, you can say that for the capital city.
0: And D.C. is even more restrictive because you have the height regulations. So
1: it's not like we can build super tall skyscrapers. Right. New York they will go and tear down a building and build a taller building to create more units. Right. And we are very restricted building. So lots of people don't like building restrictions. Yeah. Investors who own property... You like yeah, Also, them. you
2: can't, I mean, it can't, most places you can annex the next city <laughs> or oh, next, you know, suburbs or whatever. Exactly, land, like Houston or you, something. You Houston. can't annex Maryland. Right. <laughs> right. right. They're, they're not going to take too
1: kindly to that. <laughs> and there's a lot of federal
0: land <laughs> right. and government right. land exactly. and, you know, right.
1: so there's, there's, but that's so why so you also scarcity. see the growth yeah. in our metro area forms rings going further and further yeah. out. Yeah. Um, cause, we have to build outwards as opposed to upwards. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of sort of, uh, experience. I mean, having gone through four cycles, uh, cause I bought my first thousand eighty seven. and, uh, I, I, I've been through some cycles. I mean, cycles are very, uh, uh, what's the right word? A uh, very humbling. Okay. Because when the market's hot, you think you're a genius. Yeah. You think you know it all. Everyone's a uh, genius in a yeah, bull market. Yeah. You know, everyone, you know. But it's when the market tanks. Uh, that's when you realize uh, <laughs> who's Sweetie naked, yeah. as they say. <laughs> and uh, you know, having gone through four of these cycles, and uh, I realized that I, you know, the key to my success had to be a reliable income stream. You know, where I knew the rent was coming in regardless, and uh, and, uh, and and having people who stay a long time. Who's, uh, and so that's where everything drifted towards the Section 8 model is because, uh, you know, these folks, once they're in, tend to stay longer. The income stream is very reliable. I mean, it's a 26, it's a $25 billion program. So there's a lot of money out there, uh, that's allocated to this. And, uh, and so if you can understand how it works, then you can, um, you know, really leverage it to your benefit.
1: You know, one thing I'd like to dig in with the Section 8 is we sort of touched on it earlier when we we're talking about the Eckington property where, your five-bedroom rent was going to be about 5400 and change, and the market rate rent was going to be significantly different than there. And there are certain neighborhoods in D.C. where that market rate rent and the Section 8 rent are drastically different. It, it is a huge inefficiency in the market, um, and you're really exploiting this inefficiency,
2: I was exploiting it. You're taking uh, advantage of it. No, I just, uh, you yeah, know, I understand how it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is not Joe's. Uh, but I, I think talk. that, I mean, and, and we all could yeah. do this, okay. So I'm not using be...
1: exploitation as a bad word. I think as it's as investors, right, yeah. whether we're investing in real estate or right, stocks, right, right. looking for the inefficiencies yes. in the market is yes. where we can make the most money.
2: Exactly, yeah. There are opportunities uh, to, you know, to sort of uh, get a better return than, than you would otherwise so
0: speaking of that so it's my understanding that the it's the dc housing authority who's paying the yeah so the dc housing authority s- sets the rent based on the number of bedrooms and the neighborhood right mm-hmm. so are there neighborhoods that like let's say a this a five bedroom mm-hmm. is five hundred thousand dollars in kingman park I, i'm just throwing these out here i don't know if these are real numbers but that same definitely five not bedroom, a real number <laughs> okay but that same five bedroom is is eight hundred thousand in Columbia Heights? Okay, I mean, maybe my numbers are too oh, low. Yeah. I'm uh, talking
2: about I'm talking about, price. Pri-
0: I'm talking about when you're bu- when you're yeah, looking to buy a house
2: price. acquisition price. I mean.
0: Exactly. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. All because right. yeah. if yeah. If, yeah. if if the the housing authority has yeah. set the rent at five thousand four hundred and sixty two in both Columbia Heights and and Eckington and sure. Kingman Park, yeah. whatever, yeah. Yeah. then yeah. You would want to buy in Kingman Park because if the acquisition price is lower exactly. and the rents are the same. So would you be able to divulge what neighborhoods that, um, <laughs> inequity I, is? I, I don't want to divulge. <laughs> <laughs> I was just curious. <laughs> no, what,
2: no, but this is how it works. Okay. Uh, you know, I think I, I, mean, I train people on this stuff. I have a joint venture program whereby we, I show, I show people what I do and, and they can look over my shoulders. And they can replicate what I do because as a, when it, when you get 5, 10, 15, 20 applications per house, okay, you need to be in that room when you offer that home to somebody. The joy, the excitement, the happiness, you know, uh, it's a dream come true. And uh, it's a very nice feeling when you know that you're doing good and uh, helping the family. Now, the flip side to that, you need to be in that room when I make that call to the other 14 people, <laughs> Okay, I'm saying I'm sorry. I've already got my
1: house. And as as a real estate agent, I am constantly letting people down, and so I I feel that pain. I'm not necessarily doing it with tenants, doing with potential buyers a lot. Um, Yeah. Um, Because on my rentals, I usually get two or three applicants. I I usually don't get fifteen or twenty like you're getting.
2: Yeah, it's crushing because they are tired. I mean, I I gave this let me give this this story. Uh, one of my uh tenants now, um. I, I, as part of my screening process, I go to the people's homes. Okay. That's, that's, cause I want to see how they keep their home. Cause how they keep their home today is how my house is going to be in three months. So as part of the home visit, she lived in Co- uh, Congress Heights in Southeast and, uh, a pretty rough neighborhood. Okay. Rough part of Congress. And she said, uh, look, don't judge me by what's outside because I can't control this neighborhood. Okay. Judge me by what's inside my house. And her house is spotless, immaculate, the kids are well-behaved, and so on. She said, my biggest fear, and I hate living here, my biggest fear is that my kids will get killed on the way home from school. Okay, shot, killed. So that's what's on her mind every single day, living there. And uh, she's just tired of it. She just wants an opportunity. So it's great when you offer that person the chance to move to a better area. Now, the other side is, you call calling her and say, I'm sorry i don't have anything so i'm sorry you're gonna have to stay here still okay tough luck
1: yeah but so you're, it's not just the letdown of oh you didn't get this house it's the letdown of a lifestyle getting out of that type of community into yes. a better one but if
0: you've already identified her as a tier one mm-hmm. tenant do you have like a dr joe waiting list like here's a standby list well, like uh, s- in two weeks i'll have a this well, other rehab this done what i say i'm
2: gonna-
1: So this conversation with Dr. Joe went really, really long. We actually got two full episodes out of this conversation. So we're going to cut this uh, sort of off here right around the middle, and we're going to continue next week um, and listen to what Joe has to tell us about building communities, being an ethical landlord, and his joint venture program. We'll talk more in depth about uh, when this conversation continues on next week's episode.
0: Thanks for listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to contact the hosts, reach out to them at info at dcrealestatepodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you access your podcasts.